What's up? What's up, folks? <laughs> welcome back. Welcome back. If you are brand new to this show, welcome, welcome. For those who tune in every week, I just want to say thank you so much for your patience and understanding in my taking the last two weeks off. It was so needed, so necessary. Next week's solo episode is going to really share more about why, what happened during that time. I think that I've been in the midst of experiencing a lot that will be very helpful to you, beneficial to you. The Akashic Records have been sharing a lot in regards to what's going on right now, what we need to be doing. And those are things that I feel like this podcast audience definitely needs to know about. So there'll be more about that next week. (laughs) Um, But for this week, welcome back and thank you. Thank you for being here. I am really excited to dive back in to the podcast with these, um, with this interview. Davis Carr, and I will share about her in just a minute, a bit, just a minute, I can't speak when I read her bio, but Davis is someone that I just really admire. She is a pistol. She is witty, extremely intelligent, just a fast-moving energy. Talking with her was so much fun. But I am very, very excited for her Kickstarter that is actually launching today when this podcast goes live on the 20th. And you'll find that link in the show notes for her tarot deck. I hope you check it out. I personally am looking forward to getting my hands on this deck. So, but you're just going to enjoy getting to know her in general. And I want to have her back, want to have her back to talk about Hellenistic astrology. The girl has multiple interests and specialties, so you'll definitely be seeing more of her in the future. But for now, let me read her bio to you. Okay, Davis Carr is a consulting astrologer and tarot reader based in the unceded Algonquin Territory which is Ottawa, Canada. She uses astrology to help fellow creative, burnt out, overachieving humans better understand who they are so they can stop fighting themselves and their strengths. Her tarot readings provide the clarity and guidance her clients need to move forward, make important decisions, or simply get some reassurance that they are on the right path. She is the author and co-creator of the Hollow Valley Tarot, launching on Kickstarter today, October 20th, 2021. Gotta say, ladies, like, what beautiful numerology to launch this Kickstarter on. So without further ado, enjoy this beautiful interview with Davis. I will be back next week with our November Akashic reading and so much more. Sending you my love. I will see you on the other side. Welcome to the Soul Driven Podcast. I believe that when we invest in ourselves, the world benefits. If you are searching for meaning and purpose, if you are unsure about how to combine the spiritual with the everyday, if you are ready to uncover 
who you truly are, then you've come to the right place. The Soul Driven Podcast is dedicated to exploring the intersection of living a soulful and spiritual life in a driven and ambitious world. Join me for practical guidance, truthful discussions, and interviews with people who are successfully living a soul-driven life. My name is Anna Hendricks, spiritual guide, marketer, and your host. Thank you for being here. Welcome back, folks, and thank you for joining us for another soul-driven interview. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Davis Carr a consulting astrologer and tarot reader based in unceded Algonquin territory, which is Ottawa, Canada. She uses astrology to help fellow creative, burnt out, overachieving humans better understand who they are so they can stop fighting themselves and their strengths. Welcome to the show, Davis. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here with you. Absolutely. I always have this thing that, um, you know, I don't know that potentially in in society we may think that like um like i i love meeting women who have like more like boyish names you know like james or um jesse or like they're just always the coolest ladies so i love that your name is davis <laughs> whenever i meet another woman who has a more masculine presenting name i always like feel this kinship with them because they get it they understand what it's like <laughs> yeah i think it's always cool yeah. i'm always honestly like when i was younger especially i was always a bit upset that i didn't get like more of a masculine name because i am a more masculine female um, but I just, like I said, every female I've ever met um, who has had a more masculine name, cool, cool person. That's all I have to say. <laughs> um, awesome. So, Davis, how I came to find you online, um, I'll just share with everyone here. I found you on Instagram and it was like, I think it must have been over a year ago um and i was actually really trying to think about exactly where it was that i came across you but i don't know but for whatever reason i started following you and um and i have just loved the information that you share on instagram the way you talk about astrology um the way you talk about tarot um yeah I love your graphics. I think you do a great job and I'm so excited to have you here today. So thank you again. <laughs> well, that makes me so happy to hear. Um, I have a career in marketing and communications before I did, um, you know, this astrology and tarot goodness. So that makes my marketing side very happy to hear and I'm glad you appreciate it. Yeah. And what a blessing too to have that because I feel like so many you know, um, in the wellness community and the wellness community for me just kind of encompasses everything, whether it's like mm -hmm. the spiritual community or whatever, like the creatives, I should say, yeah, have a real difficult time marketing themselves. So when I see it done well, mm -hmm. it's like, heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so let's jump in. The first question I ask all of my guests, what makes you soul driven? I love this question so much, and I really put a lot of time and thought into answering it when I uh, was preparing for this interview, because I really feel like 
there are so many different pieces of my life that make me soul driven. And there are certain things that before I really got into the spiritual, intuitive, holistic wellness community, things that I didn't realize were actually my intuition speaking and sort of me following my soul's path as it were. Um, so, you know, actually things like marketing and communication, that has always been something that I loved to do ever since I was a little girl. Um, I was a huge Harry Potter nerd growing up, um, you know, as an adult, very upset with J.K. Rowling's turfiness and anti-trans attitudes, but the, the world that she created was so important for me growing up. And I was a really big part of the Harry Potter fandom. I did tons of, you know, text-based role-playing games. I wrote fan fiction. I attempted to do fan art very poorly. And it was through being in those online communities that I taught myself Photoshop based on tutorials I found on LiveJournal. You know, I had my like hacked copy of Photoshop for years and years that I downloaded off of LimeWire. And it really gave, set me up for success later in my life when I realized that all of those skills I had developed out of my sheer curiosity and my own volition um, was helped me get a career in marketing and communications and digital media. So in that way, I think, you know, that that thread has really been there for my whole life. And it wasn't until um, I was much older and later on um, in my my mid to late 20s that I really started thinking about my intuition as something that I really wanted to hone and really invest in. Um, and so I say that because, at least for me, when I was first getting into this type of thing, I had this impression that people were psychic and they just were. And if you weren't, then you weren't intuitive and you had, you know, the doors were shut to you. But I realized when I found tarot and then astrology, I realized that there were systems we could learn and frameworks we could understand and ways to think about the world that led me to developing my intuition and led me to listening to you know my soul when it was speaking to me and so just that journey of listening more to my intuition trusting my skills and educating myself and getting more and more into it has led me to where I am today, which is a self-employed consulting astrologer and tarot reader and micro business owner. Um, and now I have the immense privilege where I get to shape my entire life based on my intuition. I get to structure my business in a way that supports me. I get to be in charge of how much work I do in a day and the type of work that I'm doing and how when I schedule my podcast interviews and things like that. And so it's been, you know, the last couple of months have been such a big crash course in prioritizing all of that. Um, and yeah, letting my soul drive me forward. I love that. I think that <laughs> I think that this is like one of the most um, practical answers that I've had from from my question which mm -hmm. i love because it does i mean i think that you know we have all these ideas about 
the spiritual community and about being spiritual and about our intuition and what that looks like and what it's supposed to look like. And um, like just the other day, I uh, I, I was reading um, a, a fellow Akashic Record reader. She had written a post about um, how for her spirituality at this point in time in her life is staying connected to her body. And I love that. You know, it's like, there's so many different ways for us to access that part of our life, you know? And when we think about being soul driven, I mean, yes, it can be this like holy, very, you know, powerfully spiritual thing. But at the same time, like we're here on planet earth and we have to do the practical work on planet earth, you know? <laughs> and that is such a huge part of our everyday and of getting to the path, you know, of really connecting with our soul because we can't just like sit in a room and meditate and be soul driven. <laughs> exactly. Like we have to put food on the table. We have jobs we have to do. And, you know, I come from a very atheist, socially progressive, humanitarian oriented family. My whole family has worked in the nonprofit sector. My mother worked in labor unions her whole life. My father was involved in the nonprofit affordable housing sector. And so this idea of doing work that practically benefits society and the common good was just a given in my life. And for a really long time, I just assumed that my communications and marketing skills plus my desire to make the world a better place equals a job in nonprofit communications. And that was my path for such a, such a long time. And then when I found tarot and astrology, I was so reluctant to do it, the spiritual side of it. I felt allergic to it. And even like I studied philosophy in university and it's very ironic because when I was studying the ancient Greeks and the Neoplatonic thought, I just hated it because I just had this idea of like, well, God doesn't exist. So all of this is stupid and useless. Can we please like go into modern times and <laughs> learn Nietzsche and, you know, to talk about postmodernism. And now today I much more, I find myself much more oriented towards that ancient philosophy. I literally do traditional Hellenistic astrology, which is platonic theory, but made real. So that common thread of wanting my work to be practical is so important to me. And I feel like because I am somebody who didn't grow up in that spiritual context, I don't have as much of that baggage. And I, I really want my work to be grounded in practical realities. I really want it to resonate with people and help them live their lives in a very practical way on a daily basis. Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, the thing is like my, so my story is the opposite in that I grew mm -hmm. up in a Christian home, you know, both of my parents were fundamentalists when I was younger. Thankfully, mm -hmm. my father broke out of that as, as I started at least being able to speak so that <laughs> I could ask him all the questions without getting mm -hmm. all the pushback. But, um, mm -hmm. and so I grew up very much with that. But I, I mean, for me, like I was born into this lifetime knowing God, it was like never a question to mm -hmm. me. And the, even though it was in, you know, the Christian framework, there was so much that I never agreed with or could identify with. But um, 
you know, and I've also, I think I shared this before we started um, recording, you know, marketing, like that was always something I was going to gravitate towards just because my personality, my natural inclinations. And for me, switching into this more spiritual work, starting my spiritual practice was also so hard. I mean, like I tantrum with my guides for a good like three months. Like, are you freaking kidding me? How am I supposed to make money this way? Like I would, you know, I didn't, I didn't care so much what people thought as much as just like, how am I going to pay the bills? Like I make Mm -hmm. good money marketing. (laughs) And um, yeah. yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it was, you know, inevitably of course they won i surrendered all as well but that's still i mean in everything that i do it's like i have to you know even with my community it's literally like we're merging the spiritual with the everyday like you can take all that cool woo woo stuff but if you can't make it practical then what the hell is it worth you know <laughs> exactly and i i too think like it's so helpful to be doing the these activities and doing your spiritual practice a little bit every single day because i know for me when i first was getting started it felt like only on the full moon only on the new moon everything has to be perfect i need to have all of the correspondences and what i've learned over time is that five minutes of meditation every single day is infinitely better for me and my practice and my work than one big ritual every two months. And, you know, yeah, we can really get tripped up over that type of stuff. But as we start to integrate it more into our daily life, it just gets easier and easier. And I also really like to think about it in terms of like, if we're only going to our gods or deities or spirits or whatever we work with when we're in trouble, all we're doing is asking. Like that's the annoying friend who only calls you when they have something to complain about. I want to have a relationship with my spirits and my guides that is like, hey, just checking in what's going on with you and, you know, getting, having those daily conversations so that it's less take, 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 you know? Oh, 1000%. I mean, I, I, um, for me, honestly, one of my, and this is, this is a mission that's really just started becoming clear in my own life, but I really feel led to inspire people to create that personal relationship with God, source, spirit, whomever, whatever, you know, I'm, I have no interest in judging that, (laughs) but just (laughs) all words, welcome, all labels and definitions, welcome. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as long as it's founded in love, like I'm there, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but having that personal relationship because, you know, and we're going outside of ourselves for answers and we're constantly looking to other things, we're going to get ourselves in trouble all the time. Um, when we have all the wisdom inside of us, but like you said, um, and I have, I mean, my relationship with God, you know, has evolved so much over the years. I mean, through my teens, I was definitely just hanging out with God when it was like, everything's falling apart. And even probably for a good portion of my twenties too. But you know, that was a time of strengthening my relationship with God because God was always there. And I'm like, how are you here? Because like, if you were just showing up when I needed something, I wouldn't be here for you. (laughs) Right. Like in human terms, but God always was. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that the 
to me, that is like what spirituality is, is that personal Mm -hmm. relationship. And yeah, five minutes a day, I think is awesome. You know, Mm -hmm. I love this, the rituals and stuff, but I can't really say that those bring me anywhere near the, the joy that I have by, you know, the, the things that happen on the everyday, the more mundane Mm -hmm. stuff, if you will. Yeah, totally. Um, so you've already kind of touched on your background quite a bit for us. Um, I'd love for you and, and even a bit about, you know, kind of jumping into tarot and astrology, but I'd love to know more about kind of how that happened for you. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, was it astrology first or tarot first or? <laughs> yeah. So it's funny because so much of the story really feels like it comes down to chance. Um, I discovered tarot and astrology around the same time. So the two have always been really inextricably connected for me. And I, so two major things happened. One, I you know, my personal life sort of blew up a little bit. I moved cities. I got a new job. And at that new job, I met a, I, I made a new friend uh, who was working in the same workplace and she was extremely cool, extremely progressive. We had all the same values and she had a tarot deck. And that was a light bulb moment for me because I was like, oh, I can just go buy one. <laughs> Like this just exists and is a thing that normal people who I like and admire do. And so the um, particular deck that she had was Thea's Tarot, which is this um, really fantastic deck. It was reprinted in the mid 2000s, um, but it was originally created in the 1980s by a lesbian woman named Ruth West. And As part of the reprint, they uh, had somebody write this really fantastic guidebook, and it just totally spoke to me because it was progressive and genderqueer and freeing and like, you know, just really, really aligned with me. And that was my first tarot deck that I bought myself. And around that time as well, tarot and astrology were just getting really popular on Instagram. Um, So it really was this moment of where it was in the zeitgeist and Channing Nicholas was starting to become really popular. And so I started following her. I signed up for her newsletters and very quickly I decided to buy one of her new moon workshops where she would lay out, here's all the transits um, coming ahead, uh, one for each rising sign. And that was my first time, one, looking up at my birth chart and being like, oh my God, there's more than just your sun sign. (laughs) What? I had no idea that was even a thing. And then, you know, the way that she um, worked through it, it was very practical. As we've been saying, it was like, this is the, the house that's being activated. So this is the type of stuff that you might expect. And there were meditations and ritual guides included. And so that was really my gateway into spirituality in general. That was my first time doing new moon intention settings and reflecting on them at the full moon. And it just came at this really beautiful time in my life where before that, I really didn't have any coping mechanisms for the big, big feelings I had inside of me. 
And I look back on a couple of years before that, and I really see someone who was just bouncing off everyone else in her life and didn't have that center to return to. I didn't have that space for reflection that was just me, just my notebook, just my thoughts. Um, and so, yeah, like as we've been saying, as somebody who had no history of spirituality, no access to God, like God felt so alien and unallowed for me, Tarot was that intermediary step. Um, tarot really was the first time where I developed a relationship with a tool who would be there for me when I needed them, who I could go to and ask questions of and get feedback and support. And the turning point for me came in early 20, uh, 2018, where I had gone on a trip with my family to visit my grandmother who lives in Geneva, and I didn't bring my tarot cards. And I had this moment when I was packing where I like put them in the suitcase and then I took them out and was like, no, I don't need those, whatever. And while I was on the trip, um, you know, looking back, I realized, oh, so much happening astrologically. That's why I was feeling this way. But I just felt so emotional, had no way to process, like was really struggling. And all I wanted in the world was a tarot deck, was some way to understand, just like ask the question, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? And what do I do about it? And I didn't have it. And I felt very forlorn. And in lieu of having an actual tarot deck, I started listening to tarot and astrology podcasts because at the I was looking for tarot podcasts, but I couldn't really find them. And but I knew I liked astrology enough that I was like, well, this is basically the same thing. And so out of basically, you know, sheer boredom slash this, you know, call to understand what was going on inside of me, I started studying tarot and astrology more. And when I got back from the trip, I turned to my partner and said, I am going to start doing this seriously. Like, I really want to learn tarot. I'm going to start doing like rit rituals and stuff more. Um, this was, we had moved in together a couple, you know, six months before that. So that, you know, that was a really important moment of me making space in my life for my spirituality and for my practices and really starting to commit to it. And so that's also when I created my Instagram account, um, which originally started as a bullet journaling Instagram account. If you scroll all the way to the bottom, you'll see photos of um, bullet journal spreads and whatnot. Um, but very quickly, I was like, actually, I'm just journaling about tarot. And so eventually, yeah, I changed the name um, and made it more tarot oriented. So yeah, that's, and then since then, I just have kept learning, kept growing. And I started reading tarot before astrology readings because tarot is a lot easier to learn. And I, it's a lot easier to practice ethically when you're newer to it. And so for a really long time, I was just a tarot reader um, until 
my astrology, I just like couldn't stop it. Every time I went to write about tarot, I ended up writing about astrology. <laughs> and so I just, I knew that I, I really wanted to do this. I wanted to take it seriously. And I, astrology is so hard to learn on your own because there is so much information out there and it's really difficult to understand how all the pieces fit together. And so I um, reached out to an astrologer who I liked and asked them basically, like, who would you recommend studying with? Um, and she pointed me towards Achutabhava Dasa, um, who runs the Nightlight Astrology um, course. And I took his ancient astrology for the modern mystic class. And that was mind blowing. Like that was the missing piece that made me understand the fundamental philosophy of it, how everything fits together. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was exactly what I needed in order to integrate everything I had been learning sort of ad hoc and at my own pace for years. Um, but that made it all structured, um, and made me able to interpret natal charts as well. So yeah, then astrology became part of my practice and here we are. <laughs> well, first, it sounds like I need to take that course. Sounds awesome. Highly recommend. Yes. Yeah. And I did see the links on your website as well, I think, to like, you know, who your teachers were, which I thought was incredible. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd like to kind of maybe take a step back, not really, but I'm sure the majority of my listeners, I would think all of my listeners have heard of tarot, but um, I'd love to kind of kick it, kick this off really with a, a couple of um, definitions. So I'd love to hear like in your words, like what tarot is and a little bit about its, um, you know, about where it comes from Yeah, and um, yeah, it's lineage, mm -hmm. if you will. Absolutely. So tarot is a divination system. It is a set of 78 cards that are divided into three different groups, the major arcana, the minor arcana, and the court cards. And each of those cards has a definition and interpretation, a number of symbols that create the outline of the meanings. Um, and that I find really helpful when you're first picking up a tarot deck to understand that there is a structure as to why five of swords means this. Um, in that case, you know, you have the energy of the five combining with the uh, suit of swords, which is associated with the element of air and, you know, it gets its interpretation from there. And so anything can be a divination system so long as it is a complete set and a complete framework. Like you could put a whole bunch of receipts into a bowl and shake them up and use that as a way of fortune telling if you really wanted to. So long as there's sort of this structure around it, we are able to learn something. And so Historically, um, this is my best understanding based on what I've read, you know, asterisk, I am not a tarot historian, <laughs> um, but the, the, the tarot decks um, that we think about today came out of the Italian Renaissance. And originally it, it was a playing card game. 
And these, you know, fancy Italian families would have these custom tarot, uh, sorry, playing cards made specifically for them, um, you know, as a sign of their wealth and all of that. Um, and that's a very similar origin to the playing cards that we know today. Um, and in fact, the structure is very similar. The innovation of the the tarot and you know the reason why i think it became very popular with the occult comes from the addition of the trump cards so those are the major arcana the those cards that have titles as opposed to you know the ones through the tens um and yeah, so that's sort of where they originally came from. And then over the years, especially in European, um, like Western Europe, as far as I understand, it eventually sort of pops up as this divination and story, you know, yeah, fortune telling or, or storytelling device. The big innovation um, and sort of the invention of the tarot that a lot of us will be familiar with, the um, the Rider Waite um, deck, um, that came, was created in the early 1900s. And it came out of the Golden Dawn tradition, which was very much this revival of some of these mystical techniques um, and you know ancient rites and things like that. Um, very much part of the spiritual movement that arose in the 19th century, um, like late 19th century, where people were getting more excited about mediums and spirits and psychics and stuff like that. Um, and the Golden Dawn, you know, is its own tangent and there are experts in that and there's definitely critiques of it because there's a lot of use of Jewish mysticism and the Kabbalah and there's conversations as to whether or not that was, is appropriate and, you know, all of, you know, it's all, everything is complicated. The world is complicated. Um, but they, um, uh, so... Ryder and Waite, two different people. I forget their last names, but one of them was the publisher and one of them was the one who really had the vision for what all of the, the cards mean. And then Pamela Coleman Smith is the artist that they hired to do the illustrations. And Pamela Coleman Smith's invention really centers around the miners um, because according to what I have researched, um, Ryder was very specific on the depictions of the major arcana and the court cards, but the miners historically had just been considered pip cards. So no particular illustrations, you know, the five of swords is literally just five swords on it. Um, I should also say I've totally neglected to mention the Tarot de Marseille and all of this because that is not something that I have studied in particular. Um, just, you know, full disclosure uh, for everybody listening to worse terms for them to, to Google on their own. Um, so, yeah, so Pamela Coleman Smith was the, the really one of the first people to illustrate those minors and make them so much more powerful. You know, the images that you see and like the Ten of Swords with Ten Swords in the man's back. Um, you know, the, um, the five of wands with all of the figures fighting each other, they're very vivid and very provocative of, and, you know, really have gone a long way into in, in influencing modern readers' interpretations. So 
if people say, you know, this is a Rider Waite Smith style deck, that's what they're referring to. And what I love about tarot and what I find so powerful, like why it's such a powerful tool is that there is so much room for complexity and nuance, depending on how many cards you pull, what um, order they come in, you know, what they represent, whether they're reversed. It's such a rich language. And the way that I use tarot primarily is as a tool for self-reflection. So I am not predictive in my approach to tarot. I really see each card as being an invitation for us to look at a situation differently. So, you know, if a card comes up and I'm like, oh, I don't like that or I don't understand it. The question I always ask myself is how might this be true or what lesson is this energy trying to teach me? And so I really try to allow the card meanings to come through for me that way, as opposed to, you know, always being like, this is what this card means definitively. There's, I have a lot of Gemini in me. I like when things are complicated and multifaceted and two things at once. So yeah, that's my general tarot spiel for you. <laughs> I hope teachers in your future, because you'll be very, a very good teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of teaching, um, not as much as I would like to right now, but definitely teaching in my future. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think one of the things that really stood out to me that I loved and, you know, for folks who don't have uh, experience with the tarot or really haven't sat down with it themselves, I love how you kind of explained that, you know, it's a way of helping to understand your emotions, understanding your inner life, like what's going on, you know, being able to look at the different archetypes of the cards, you know, the different energies of the cards and just having that ability to to put something visual to words to intuition to you know what i mean mm -hmm. um i think that that's such a powerful way of explaining tarot you know versus I, I think that you know most people when they hear tarot they're thinking of like the futuristic you know the mm -hmm. future telling the those kinds of things but mm -hmm. Um, and I saw on your website as well, you know, that you have um, taken with Lindsay Mack, whom mm -hmm. I love, and she's amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, Lindsay Mack has been such a big influence uh, in my life. And yeah, I've taken a ton of her courses, especially early on when I was first learning. She's amazing. She's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, but her, you know, the way that she looks at tarot is soul tarot. I just, when, I think it was one of the first courses I took with her, um, Inner Voice, I think it was 2020 at the very beginning. Um, and when she talked about how like every card is a different energy, I just really loved that. You know, it was mm -hmm. me coming from a Christian background and um, <laughs> it's hilarious when I think back before my like huge spiritual awakening. I mean, one of my closest friends, she was an epic tarot card reader, but I would not let her read my cards. Cause I just, mm -hmm. you know, back in those days, I was like, no way, no how. 
Um, and I was like one of the most liberal Christians that, you know, was out there. It's so crazy for me to think about. I'm like, who is that person? But um, when I started, you know, playing with tarot cards myself, it was very difficult for me to, you know, kind of really wrap my head around each card. And because I'm like super literal and also very practical, you know, it was more like I was trying to memorize these cards in regards to what their definitions were. But um, I just wanted to call that out because I think that for folks who are interested in learning tarot, you know, looking at it from that perspective is so powerful versus like, I need to know this definition and I need to like, you know, this is going to help me understand the future versus helping me to understand my internal world and what's going on there when I don't have words for it. Because that's mm -hmm. crazy powerful, you know? Yeah. Oh, it totally is. And it never ceases to amaze me. The fact that you can sit with this deck and pour your heart out to it and it listens and it responds. And, you know, the decks that I most treasure and have the, clo the closest relationship are those decks that I've really allowed myself to be vulnerable and ask those scary questions. And, I think for, for so many new readers, that question of intuition versus anxiety is huge. And it is really scary to do a reading for yourself and get a card. And, you know, I've had that, that fear reaction. And so I really want to normalize and validate that for people. But it is really important to remember, like, the cards are on our side. And no matter what comes up for you, even if you can't understand it in the moment, if you allow yourself to just think about it and be curious and just wonder where is this coming up, especially if it doesn't make sense to you, like there's something there for you to learn with that energy. And it's, it's like any relationship or learning a new language. It takes time. It really takes time and practice to start to immediately get, oh, when I pull this card, this is what it means for me. Yeah, absolutely. Completely. And I think on like, at least from my perspective, it makes full sense that, you know, astrology would like your learning astrology would kind of wrap itself up with tarot because they do like you're mentioning, you know, like the different, um, like, you know, uh, oh my gosh, my brain just totally went blank, like the swords and, um, air and mm -hmm. it's the wands and fire and, you know, and then those signs that are wrapped up with the cards. I think that's mm -hmm. a very helpful way, um, to understand them. That was really my in with tarot because you know i've been nerding out on astrology since i was a kid and um and so being able to have those associations was very helpful with the archetypes and understanding them um so and i also wanted to just kind of like in regards to your astrology practice and the hellenistic astrology since you mentioned that i feel like that is not such as mainstream, or at least it's not something that's talked about as much as like evolutionary astrology or whatever. So I'd love for you to um, also kind of share with us about what that is. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm so excited to share it with you. Um, buckle up another lesson with Davis. Um, so the Hellenistic astrology school is actually paradoxically very recent. 
Um, it was in the 1990s that uh, scholars um, uncovered and began a translation project of all of these ancient astrological texts. And astrologers began to pick up the work basically, you know, realize like, oh, wait, these these are ancient uh, texts about our work. Like we should know what they say and we should, astrologers should try to interpret them instead of just, you know, classics majors who don't believe in astrology. And so that um, ethos or mission um, drove to the creation of Project Hindsight, um, which was a really important uh, institution and translation project of getting all of those texts back into modern English. And once that, you know, had had happened, there began, it began to be possible for those ancient techniques to be used and by astrologers and start to be popularized. So if folks are familiar with the, um, it's called the Astrology Podcast, and it's uh, hosted by Chris Brennan, and he is one of the leaders so in this. It's so great. I, so good. <laughs> it's very funny um, because I, you can like measure an astrologer's journey, uh, especially with the Hellenistic, like Hellenistic astrology, by their relationship to the Astrology Podcast. Because when you first listen to it, you're like wow, this is three hours and so boring. I don't understand how they're doing this. And now four years later, I'm like, yes, three hour episode. Come on. I'm going to listen to and take notes to every second. All on Mars or Jupiter. Yes, or it's, <laughs> uh, it's, there's, it's a, such a wealth of information. And yeah. it's, you know, it all, it, it is coming from that ancient Hellenistic perspective. So that for me, like, I really love the, when I was studying uh, Hellenistic astrology with my teacher, what I really appreciated about it is it finally explained the why behind a lot of things in astrology. Because when you're first learning it, you hear people say, Venus is the planet of love and beauty. And you're like, okay, I guess I have to believe you. And they'll say, Venus rules Taurus and Libra. And you're like, okay. If you're telling me, I guess it's true. But in when you actually look at the underlying philosophy and the underlying structure, the reason why Venus rules Taurus and Libra is part of this incredibly intricate system that has so many layers and everything fits together. And it also is a very practical type of astrology. Um, whereas you know, it's a lot more about predicting life events and describing the energy of a certain period in your life or saying this type of stuff might happen to this part of your life. It's, again, a lot more practical, whereas the evolutionary astrology and modern astrology comes out of the psychological tradition um, because those ancient texts were lost for so long and not uncovered until the 90s. What, you know, what we think of as popular or modern astrology was the result of just, you know, the the astrological tradition almost going out uh, of existence completely in the, um, you know, the early modern period. There was um, William Lilly um, was an English uh, astrologer who sort of was part of the medieval tradition. But after that, um, 
you know, there was, there, it was the enlightenment and nobody believed in astrology anymore. Um, and also certainly I'm sure, you know, prejudice and the rise of Christianity and things like that, you know, it was paganism and whatnot. So the, the spiritualist movement in the 19th century was a really big part of reviving astrology, but in order to survive, astrology had to be subsumed by psychology. You know, this idea of like archetypes and things influencing our internal stuff and the archetype of Mars and the archetype of, of violence and whatnot. Um, and I, I say all of this with no judgment towards psychological astrology or evolutionary astrology. I believe that every system of astrology, so long as it has rules and a framework and there's you know reason behind it and it works for people, it's amazing and beautiful. Um, but that's sort of the, the main difference that we see right now is um, the more psychological side that is much more interested in the modern planets, so Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, as well as looking at the nodes as being, you know, soul evolution and karma and things like that. Um, whereas the Hellenistic tradition primarily focuses, well, exclusively focuses on the seven visible planets because that's all they could see. Um, and things like planetary rulerships become really important, um, essential dignity, those, those types of concepts. Um, so, you know, most of the astrologers that I know and study with do in practice have a blend of uh, modern and Hellenistic. Um, but I would say that I am sort of in that first or second generation of astrologers who are studying the from teachers who have read all of those ancient texts and really integrated those techniques into their practices. Um, there's also just so many cool things timing-wise you can do with Hellenistic astrology, whether it's thinking about annual perfections or zodiacal releasing or secondary progressions. Like there's a lot of intricacies and really interesting <laughs> techniques that you can get very complicated very quickly. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I haven't. I mean, the thing is, is, you know, I feel like the modern astrology, evolutionary astrology are, um, are talked about a lot in regards to the name of them, you know, referred to like, I feel like they're kind of passed back and forth quite a bit. Um, but the Hellenistic is something I think even relatively new for me to hear, you know, maybe over the past like two years. Um, and so thank you for breaking that down for sure. And I know that, um, so astrology for you is certainly a, a core piece in your, in your practice. <laughs> so for those really wanting to dive deep, um, cause you've got some great offerings for like, like the yearly offering for birthday, yeah. I thought was really cool. Mm -hmm. I um, love doing birthday readings. They're so fun. Um, and in those readings, we get to use some of the more fancy traditional techniques. So you'll hear, you'll learn all about your time Lord. <laughs> My well, we're favorite gonna have astrology. To we're going to have to like have you back to to geek out on Hellenistic oh, astrology. Yes, please. That'd be fun. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely want to just kind of climb back into the tarot. And um, on your website, I found this to be very interesting. I'd love for you to expand on this for us. But um, it says you're 
approach to tarot is deeply rooted in themes of social justice and intersectional feminism. And uh, she strives to create a safer space and a supportive, non-judgmental container to do healing work. I'd love for you to kind of expand on that for us and, and how tarot, you know, how you make that possible with tarot. Oh, I love that question. Thank you so much for asking it. Um, you know, that line is on my website because it's really important for folks when they are wanting to know whether they want to work with me to understand my philosophy and my values and my politics. And for me, you know, intersectional feminism is a really important part of how I live my life and how I view the world. Um, and obviously, as a white woman living in North America, there are many ways that I do not live up to my own values and standards lots of the time, but I do always try to, when I am working with a client, come at it from as few prejudices and assumptions about somebody's life as possible and really make space for the fact that people experience systemic oppression in ways that I, as a white lady, don't understand and can't have not lived. And so I really want my clients to feel safe, you know, not necessarily having to, like, I don't want them to feel like they have to explain their systemic oppression to them. I want them to know that they can show up to our readings as they are and not have, have to do that work as to why something would be more tough for them in their work or a relationship or something like that. And just from my own when I'm sitting down with a client, really doing my best to not make assumptions about their lived experience based on their appearance or what I perceive of them. And when I'm offering my interpretations, as a reader, it is this fine line to share your interpretation without projecting it onto the client. And I really strive to, in my work, when I am doing a tarot reading or sitting down and looking at a client's birth chart, to explain to them what I'm seeing and explain to them why the, the where the meaning comes from. So um, when I when I do my tarot sessions, I do spend a lot of time explaining, you know, this is what the fives mean. They mean loss and contraction and this moment before expansion or a moment of enlightenment when you realize how far away you are. And here's what the wands means. It's, it's related to your creativity, your passion and your drive. Therefore, when we combine these things, these are the types of energies you might experience. And always trying to offer that information in a way that allows the client to pick up what works for them and let go of the meanings that didn't land. And so, and then on my side as well, when they say, you know, this is the interpretation that resonates with me, believing them and saying yes, and, you know, really going along with them. So yeah, that's really, I, that's how I try to live those values in my, um, 
in my client work. Um, and then also, I think it's so important as a public figure and a holistic business owner and a wellness professional in this day and age to be really upfront with people about what my politics are and the fact that I believe Black Lives Matter. And I encourage everybody to get their vaccines and all of that, you know, like there's so much misinformation and scary stuff that other practitioners and readers and astrologers are sharing that I do not want to be associated with. So that's, yeah, like it's, it's a really weird place to be in the world, but I really wanted to make my politics upfront and center so that people know what they're getting when they work with me. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. And that was certainly like why I wanted to ask you about it. Um, because I think it is so important for people to share that information up front, you know, because I think there's like this dynamic that can happen in relationship, especially when you're working with someone, perhaps if you don't fully understand that component to them, and then, you know, maybe you have a session with them, maybe you work with them in whatever capacity, and then a little bit down the road, you find out, you know, about their politics or about their stances, mm -hmm. and it just kind of like blows you away and puts yeah. you in a you know, in a very sort of weird place. And then you don't really know how to evaluate what it was that you shared with that person. Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah. I feel like in some ways it makes things so complicated right now. And it's, you know, uh, but it's just where we're at. So yeah. <laughs> that's always what I come exactly. back to. I'm like, I can tantrum about this, but the bottom line is this is the way it is. So, exactly. um, and I just don't think that as you know, like in my Akashic record readings, I mean, that is my absolute and highest uh, goal always is to put aside my assumptions when working with someone is to go to the very root of who they are of, you know, this human being. I mean, we are a composite of you know, our, our, our tragedies and our pain and our wounds, and we're all train wrecks in different ways. Um, but getting underneath that core to really what's there and mm -hmm. what is most serving to the person in that moment, I just think is, is huge. Mm -hmm. So I loved, I love, I love that. Um, and yeah, I, <laughs> this is a little tangenty, but I just, I actually made a podcast about this, um, well, I worked it into one of my topics, but I feel and am very saddened by so much of the misinformation that has been shared within the spiritual, metaphysical, occultish, whatever communities over the past year, year and a half. And I just, um, especially the past year, but I just, I feel like um, it's, you know, what it does for me when I see that is it just helps me to continue being as discerning as I can be in the midst of this world and our truth and our wisdom, um, because it can happen to anyone. You know, I've had like several people that I really looked up to prior to 2020, just like, man, <laughs> go down a road I'm not following, you know, and yeah. it's like, yo, 
but it can happen to anyone. And so it's like, I need to constantly be vigilant and stay aware, you know? I think that is such a great way to describe it. And that I very much feel the same thing where whenever anybody approaches me or I get a new follower or something, I have to do the scan. It's like, is this a Wuanan type person? Do I want them in my orbit? And it's really, yeah, it can be really sad and full of grief to have to let somebody go because they went down a path that you just are morally opposed to or think is harmful. But as you say, like we have to maintain that discernment. It's very Saturn and Aquarius having to like make those hard (laughs) decisions and, you know, but stay in your own integrity because that's so important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is. These are interesting times. Mm -hmm. Um, So jumping back a little bit, um, I just kind of want to touch on this and then I would love to dive into your new project. Um, But I'd love for you to kind of share with us, you know, for folks who are interested in tarot or all of those things, like what are some benefits of working with tarot? What are some uses, Mm -hmm. you know, like, we obviously talked about the emotional component, but I'd love for you to just like share some practical, some practical benefits too. (laughs) Ooh, so, so many benefits. Um, Yeah. Like I think, I think we've talked a lot about the importance or value of going to your deck when you're really feeling a lot of feelings and needing to process and, you know, do that personal development work. Um, But it doesn't always have to be that overwrought and dramatic, especially if folks are new to tarot and they're looking just to get into the habit of trying to connect the archetype of the tarot to what's happening in their daily life. I love a one card pull practice. So every day, either morning or night, pulling one card. And then I am a bullet journaling nerd. So I love having a notebook dedicated to it. And you just write, here's the day, here's the card. And then if you're new, you can write down the definition or a few keywords to help remind you. um, And also, you know, memorize and learn. Um, But then the important part is reflecting and doing journaling and seeing, oh, the nine of pentacles came up today and I had a really lazy day and made a really delicious meal for myself. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, your three page morning pages or anything, just a couple of sentences in a notebook gets you into the habit of looking for those symbols and thinking critically and sort of thinking in that symbolic way of trying to find like, where where is the symbolic resonance of this archetype in my daily life? Um, so I love, I love that as sort of a, a specific, you know, thing that, that people can do. Um, I also, uh, will tend to use spreads in a, um, kind of a a forecasting, but also getting a sense of like the energy of the month ahead. So if I do planning for September, for example, I have a three card spread that I'll use about business and I use the same spread every month. And that's really helpful because it gives me that sense of, um, consist like consistency over time to see, oh, in 
quarter one, these were the types of cards that came up. But by quarter four, this is the energy that I was moving through. And I like to do that, um, that review and reflection of looking at how many cards I've pulled and which the number of cards I pulled in each one's. Um, and I actually, um, this is a tiny, tiny uh, tangent, but as, uh, as tools and aids for helping people do this type of reflection and whatnot, my business partner and I um, have come up with these stickers and notepads that people can buy that help them keep track. We have a weekly tarot tracker, we have a daily tarot tracker, and then we also have a notepad that is all of the cards, and you can just write in how many, every time you pull one card or, you know, look back on the week and say, oh, these were all the cards I pulled this week. And it's really helpful tool for seeing like, holy crap, I pulled the 10 of swords five times in September. I'm really going through this energetic upgrade or whatever it is. So writing, tracking and, and using it in that way, I, I have personally found to be really, really helpful um, in the long term. And then the final way that I'd recommend people work with cards is to actually sit down with your deck and pick one card, like face up, go through all of the cards and pick a card that whose energy you really want to tap into and lean on and then have that card on your altar or make a photocopy of it and put it in your journal or put it in your purse and take it around with you. I think that is such a powerful way, you know, to choose an archetype that you want to develop a relationship with or, if you have a scary presentation, you know, bringing the King of Swords to remind you to stay grounded and powerful, um, that's a really, really great way of connecting with the archetypes in a way that is a little bit more magical um, and helpful. Those are great tips. I love them. And the didn't see so the the stickers and whatnot that you've created i've seen those on instagram too mm -hmm. they're they're beautiful by the way of course i feel like all of the things that you share are beautiful <laughs> <laughs> well aaron is the one who took my designs and layouts um because i've been doing all this stuff by hand for years and years and years and i basically just told her this is what i want it to look like and then she made them incredibly beautiful um yeah i love it yeah Great and you do like monthly workbooks as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the monthly workbooks are also a, a collaboration between myself and Aaron. Um, and they actually are part of our online membership. So we uh, run the Hollow Valley Coven together, um, where we do uh, bi-monthly calls for the new moon and the full moon, where I talk about the astrology and she talks about magic and ritual, and we all talk about our feelings. Um, and so as part of that, that membership, there's a Discord community, but we also give folks these workbooks. Um, and we've now started to sell those workbooks independently um, as on their own so that people can get access to them because they are full of so much content and really amazing information. I do detailed astrology forecasts. Erin does altar suggestions and rituals and things like that. Um, so those are great. The uh, Libra season one just came out. I know I got your email today. <laughs> um, awesome. Okay. I didn't know that you had a community. 
That's yeah, good. it's um, it's uh, we, we're um launched it at the beginning of the year. Um, next year we're gonna do more work into growing it and all of that. But it is it is open if folks want to come hang out. Um, it is my favorite place on the internet, honestly. Like the folks are so wonderful, and it really reminds me of old school internet forum days where you were just geeking out with a bunch of people who all liked the same things as you. So it's really lovely. That's awesome. Yeah, I um, I launched the Soul Driven Collective uh, back in May. And oh, amazing. I mean, if your community is like the favorite place, to hang, your favorite place to hang out, then you're doing it right. <laughs> yeah, right. I think that's how it should be for sure. Absolutely. Communities are awesome. Absolutely. Um, so you've been working on this project, the Hollow Valley Tarot, mm-hmm. and I would love for you to tell us about it. I'm excited to learn more about it. And um, yeah, so I'll just stop talking so you can share all about it with us. (laughs) I'm so excited to talk to you about the Hollow Valley Tarot. It has been uh, almost two years in the making. Um, It's been almost two years since Aaron first approached me about it and we decided to work on this project together. Um, It really came down to the fact that Erin really wanted to make a tarot deck, um, but she wanted to work with somebody who was more familiar with the archetypes and the structures and all of that. And for myself, I have zero artistic skill uh, in terms of illustration and whatnot. And so I really never thought I would work on a tarot deck. People love to ask tarot readers if they ever would do a deck. And I was, my answer was always no, until Aaron asked me. Um, and I was just such a fan of Aaron's work. Um, she has pub- self-published uh, two other decks, the Hollow Valley Deck of Symbols and the Hollow Valley Sigil Deck. Uh, the Sigil Oracle. And the deck of symbols was so powerful for me and really transformative. And it was an amazing guidebook and it introduced me to Aaron's work. And so when she asked me, we were already Instagram friends and we had already collaborated on a couple of projects together. And I just, I, it was an immediate soul yes for me. Like it just <laughs> felt so great. And The whole project really has felt like we've always been on the the same page in terms of the timing and the development and our vision for the goal or yeah, our goal for for the project. Um, And when we first sat down to do the deck together, we both really wanted to create something that similar to the Smith Rider Waite Tarot, you could look at it over and over again and pick up different things. You could see this symbol one time, but then another time this part would jump out at you. So that was sort of my instructions to her. And when it came down to actually writing and creating the deck, the way that I ended up structuring it was all through the numbers. I wrote the deck and the the guidebook descriptions ace through 10 initially writing, you know, the ace of uh, wands, the ace of cups, the ace of swords, the ace of pentacles, so on and so forth, because the the numbers I th- and that structure is how I read tarot and it's what makes it easier for other people to learn. And 
you know, I find it really frustrating when people give these vague descriptions that I, my answer is always like, why? How did you come to that conclusion? Don't tell me, show me. And so I really, that was my goal in writing the guidebook was to explain how the energy of the one combines with the energy of the sword to create all of these things. And for each card, I wrote an intention, um, a phrase of intention, um, an affirmation, you know, something that really spoke to the energy of the card. And this is where things get very magical because one of Aaron's big magical practices and artistic practices is sigil making. Um, she has an entire deck devoted to it and it's a really big, big part of her work. And so what she did is she turned the intentions that I wrote into sigils and then used that sigil as the basic layout for the card itself, adding layers of um, symbols and, you know, the other imagery to the card. Um, so it, the creation process has just been this magical alchemy between my writing and my language and her artistic vision and her interpreting my language through her channel. And the resulting cards are just so detailed and so rich. And I love that each card in and of itself is a magic spell, is this phrase of intention that is integrated into it. For folks so, who don't know what a sigil is, can you explain that yeah. real quick? So yeah, a sigil is basically if you take a word or a phrase and then you combine the letters in order to create an abstract symbol. Um, and so uh, magically what that does is it infuses the image with the intention of the phrase and sort of yeah, the intention behind the sigil. Um, and then you can then activate, you know, most sigils you'd activate either by burying it or burning it or drawing it on your hand or something like that. Um, sigil magic is very cool and unique. And so it felt really interesting to have that piece of it built into the deck as well. Um, That's awesome. It yeah. sounds like it's like, uh, I like what you're talking about in regards to the why. I feel like every sort of guidebook that I've ever read, and I have like several books on tarot reading and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just for me always, it's the why as well in regards to really mm -hmm. helping it to sink in. You know, because yeah. again, if it's not practical, like what am I going to do with this? Exactly. <laughs> it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, because I am an astrology nerd, there's also lots of astrology touches in the deck. Um, we use the concept of the decans. Um, and so this is uh, a way of dividing up each zodiac sign into three different parts. And then each one of those parts has a planetary ruler. And then each card in the minors are associated with uh, one of those, that zodiac sign. So the mm. two, three, and four of swords are connected to the sign of Libra. Um, and so we have that for me, when I was writing the definitions, I allowed, you know, this idea of like, okay, what does the moon and Libra combine to make. And so that energy is also part of my description for the two of swords. Um, 
and yeah, so there's lots of different elements there combined. I also have updated the astrological correspondences of the majors. So instead of the typical uh, associations like Mercury is uh, the magician and Venus is the empress, what I've done is I have I, I meditated on the uh, the major arcana cards and the zo the planets in different zodiac signs, and so the and so that's what I use as the basis for the astrological correspondences for the majors. Um, so the magician becomes um, uh, ruled by Mercury in Virgo to give it, you know, even extra nuance and, and detail. The Empress is Venus in Taurus, as opposed to Justice, which is Venus in Libra. So that that's, has always been a bit of a pet peeve of mine, where I just really felt like the people who made these correspondences didn't know about ancient astrology, and I need to <laughs> update this. I love it. I love it. I love um, all the, the extras that seem to be packed in there. Mm. It doesn't yeah. seem, uh, well, it just seems very multi-layered. So like mm -hmm. you said, that when you go to it, because I do, um, the deck that I have, I believe it's the, I have a couple of decks, but the deck that I love the most, my first one, um, and I, it's, you know, very similar to the Smith Rider Waite, but it's, um, um, you know, it's a golden tarot. Um, oh, the golden thread? No. Um, it has this very sort of uh, romantic sort. Um, it's Italian. It's an Italian deck. Oh, cool. They make a couple of them. Like they're more, some of them are ethereal. Like um, I'm going to stop trying to describe it now. <laughs> it sounds great. It's Down a beautiful deck. I love it. And, um, but like you said, every time I look at the cards, there is something new. There is something different there. And I so appreciate that. Um, for me, the more abstract decks, you know, cause I've, I've gotten a hold of them and they're so freaking cool, but I just don't identify with them as much. I'm a very visual person and I want more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I want to be able to like run amok in that, you know, in that space <laughs> and see what comes forward. Um, so you all have created this and you're launching it on Kickstarter and tell me about this process. Tell me how long, you know, your the project's going to be running all, all yeah. the important things. Yes. So the Kickstarter is from October 20th to November 10th. And I highly recommend folks get out there and get uh, pick up a copy as soon as possible because the first 100 decks will have as an early bird special for folks. Um, and we are, we, you know, with, we really need to get it funded in order to make the project a reality. Um, so I'm very lucky that Aaron has ran, run a couple of Kickstarters before, but we are, our goal is double what she has previously had. So we are just being as ambitious and possible, throwing everything we've got at this project. And what's amazing, when we were sitting down to plan out the campaign and, and the timing of it, the dates that we ended up, that we landed on, was 22 days long. And 
for those of you who don't know, <laughs> 22 is the number of major arcana cards in the deck. So we are using that as the guide, our anchor throughout the campaign. So each day of the campaign, we are going to have a live guest join us on Instagram to talk about the card of the day and explore the archetype of that card with the guest. And we'll also be posting the images of the cards on our Instagram account and also excerpts from the guidebook and all of that good stuff. So we are, we're going all out. We're going to talk to so many amazing readers and, um, and witches and shop owners and all of our friends basically are, are coming out to say, hey. And uh, we're also planning on doing a Halloween party. So mm. we'll have a public event for folks to join us on the afternoon of Sunday, October 31st. That is very close to the Scorpio new moon. So we are actually going to make the new moon call that we do with our online community open to the public, make it a nice little party. Our goal is to be funded by the time Halloween comes around. Um, so definitely suggest that folks um, run out and do that. And, you know, I'm nervous about the Kickstarter because I know it's going to be a lot of work, but it also feels so nice to have worked on something behind the scenes, really hidden, you know, be in that creation project process. And now we get to share it with the world and just tell everyone we know and cheer and celebrate and have a party. For sure. Have you gotten one of the, like, have you gotten a demo deck yet? Not yet. We, um, it is on the way. Aaron sent it to uh, the printers to get uh, our sample decks last week. So they should be here. And then she's getting them delivered to Nashville and then they'll be on their way to me after that. Um, so I might have to wait a little longer, but they're coming. They're coming. That's exciting. Um, I'm sure and that's super exciting. Yeah. If folks are familiar with Erin's work or if they have a any other copies of her deck, the um, the size and style and weight of the cards are going to be the same. So if you like the, the feel of Erin's previous decks, which I do, uh, the first thing I said to her when we worked together is we're using the same printer you always do. Because um, for me, the, the touch and feel of a deck is make or Everything. break as to whether, like, I have gorgeous decks that I don't touch because they're just, the cardstock is too thick. Yeah. And or I can't, I like, can't. shuffle them nicely or, like, they just don't feel at home in my hands. That it's yeah, huge, huge. Exactly. So these are, I've tested these out. I, I know they're going to feel good. <laughs> that would be at the top of my list as well. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's awesome. I'm excited for you and excited to see how this goes for you. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so just kind of wrapping things up here, I I will be, of course, putting all of the links in the show notes in regards to where folks can get a hold of, you know, your Kickstarter, mm -hmm. get these cards, all of that very easily and quickly. Um, is there anything else about tarot, tarot cards that you would kind of like to share before we jump into the lightning round? I think the thing that's sort of coming to mind right now is that if folks have been curious but intimidated by tarot, I really encourage you to just try it out and experiment and explore and allow, like give yourself 
a chance to just see how it lands for you. You know, it doesn't have to look a particular way. It doesn't have to be the same decks that everybody else uses. Um, you know, just finding a deck that has a little tiny pamphlet in that, that comes along with it that gives you a couple of keywords, that's good enough to get started. Um, and for me, tarot has just been such a beautiful opening to my intuition, and it is a constant companion in my life. And it just has brought me so much joy and really opened my heart to, you know, even now, my current beliefs and spiritual practice, now that I've discovered Hellenistic astrology is a lot more divinity focused. Um, I'm a lot less atheist than I was a couple of years ago. Um, but tarot was the thing that really made it real for me. Now, astrology is great because you can learn it, but it, it can be very mental and just stay in the realm of the abstract. But when you pull the same card five days in a row, or if you have something on your heart and you pull just the right card at exactly the right time, like that's magic and that's spirit and it's wonderful. And you're allowed to have that. Like you are allowed to have a little piece of divinity in your pocket that you walk around with. So I give permission to everybody who's looking for permission. Yeah, I second that. I mean, when I first got my first deck, I just thought it was beautiful and I wanted to have it. And then it was playing with it and, and you know, just kind of playing around with it. And then, I mean, it just kind of evolved from there. Mm -hmm. I think it's really, I mean, like you're talking about approaching any, any sort of, you know, spiritual modality, any sort of divinity tool with like a sense of curiosity and fun is absolutely the way to go about it. I think, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there is this propensity to like, want to know all the things <laughs> type a, you know, super mental, but, um, staying in that realm of fun with it can just really bring things to life. I think in a beautifully perfect way. Um, so thank you for sharing that. All right. So let's jump in to our lightning round here. Okay. Lightning quick questions and answers. Um, first question, what is one habit that you can't live without? Oh, uh, biting my cuticles. I've tried to <laughs> stop and I just can't. Oh, I just pick away at them. That and coffee between the two. <laughs> I usually don't talk during the lightning round, but yeah, this is like, this was my, one of my September goals was like, I'm, I'm not, and I've been doing a really good job, but I still like, you know, I know you're a double mm -hmm. Gemini. I'm a double Sagittarius. Like I've got so much energy pumping through me that it's like, I yeah, mean, it's, Hard to know what to do with the hands all the time. Yeah, I'm not used to having hands. Very clear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Number two, what does spirituality mean for you? It means a way to connect with myself on a deeper level and stay grounded and centered. Love it. Okay. Number three, what is your advice to anyone who's looking to find their purpose? Ooh, get an astrology reading. <laughs> All right. And last question, 
where can people connect with you online? Yes. Come hang out with me on Instagram at Meridian Tarot. My website is meridiantarot.com. I have a rather lively blog. I definitely, I update it. I love to, I do astrology forecasts. I talk about where, what planet is making you cry this week. Um, and you can also find a lot of my work, like the notepads and the stationary supplies, uh, at hollowvalley.com, um, which is my partner, Aaron's website. And you should also check out her work. Cause if you liked me, you'll like Aaron's work as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I am also on Twitter at Meridian Tarot if you want to hear me talk about my D&D characters. Uh, mostly I am a lurker on that site, but some, <laughs> sometimes I post things. <laughs> oh, I just love Twitter so much. So, so much. Oh, yeah. I spend a lot of time on it. I just don't post very often. <laughs> yeah, it, it literally used to be my life. I was, um, you know... I have several friends, marketers. We've been known each other since, you know, 2009, 2010, back in the mm. good old days of Twitter when it was oh, yeah. just like community. Back when it was fun. Oh my gosh. It was yeah. the best, the best. Still to this day, my favorite social network. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Miss Davis, it has been so wonderful having you. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your time and wisdom and experience with us. And thank you for all that you are doing in this world. We appreciate oh, thank you. you so much for having me. It was such a delight to talk to you and get to nerd out with you. And I hope we get to do it again soon. Yes, 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 absolutely. Okay, folks, if you were inspired by today's interview, please leave us a review on iTunes. Subscribe. If you are looking for community, check out the Soul Driven Collective or sign up for the email list to receive podcast updates and helpful resources. Thank you again for joining us today. And don't forget, when we invest in ourselves, the world benefits. Until next week.